Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today, on my 17th episode, I have a good friend, a great coach, current head coach of the U16 Manitoba Provincial Team, Mr. Stefan Hirsch. How's it going, Steph? I'm good, Geezy. How you doing? I'm good, man. Happy to have you on. I'm looking forward to uh, picking your brain, having a good chat today. Absolutely. Let's mix it up. All right, man. So let's get the blood flowing here. I want to go drive starter segment. You know, you're a, you're a draft kind of guy. You're into that kind of stuff. The NFL draft's coming up. I want you to put on your GM hat for me. And, you know, there's there's a lot of quarterbacks right now that are talked about, uh, you know, being at the top of the draft. Can you, can you kind of talk about those top quarterbacks and kind of how you see them, how you would rank those guys? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, what a year to talk about QBs. It's, um, you know, it's, it's such a, a really phenomenal class. It's uh, legitimately, we're talking five guys will we'll probably go in the first round, possibly even top 15. Um, you know, maybe we get a six, one sneak in there back into the first round, but, um, just an awesome, awesome group this year. And, and, uh, so really exciting to talk, uh, talk draft and, and talk quarterbacks because, um, every year quarterbacks kind of shape up how the draft goes and, and, uh, where people fall or, um, you know, um, dictate, uh, other positions and, and, and where those players goes too. So. Absolutely. Uh, number one for me, I mean, no brainer, Trevor Lawrence, Clemson. Uh, he's, he's been a phenom, hasn't misstepped any, any which way, you know, right from when he came onto campus, um, can make all the throws, um, and just roast every chat challenge. And plus it's a little bit of a regional pick Jacksonville, Southern guy, Clemson. Uh, I just can't see him getting off of, of Trevor there. No, I, I agree with you there. I think, you know, lately there's been some talk and obviously, you know, how stuff goes before the draft. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know, a lot of talk about maybe Zach Wilson being the best quarterback or maybe Mac Jones being the best quarterback. But uh, I'm with you. I think Trevor Lawrence is the clear cut number one guy. I think the other guys are really good. But uh, like you said, I think he's risen to every challenge that was put in front of him. And he's always kind of been that number one guy from coming out of, out of high school. And I think like just having to deal with that on a on kind of a you know an emotional level like a mental level for these young guys and to have to go through college like that and and then still produce and do all the things that he did at such a high level just I think that he's probably going to be very ready for the NFL life and, and kind of what maybe faces ahead I, I think he is the number one guy but from there how do you see the rest of it shaping out? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Wilson there just now, and 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 he's a guy that was completely off the radar. I mean, he was in a, a QB battle going into his last season, and and he just blew up. And um, and part of this this whole process is, I mean, he's from BYU, right? Like all all his games are are, are late night on back networks or channels that aren't really televised would have you or like i don't know about you i don't stay up for a lot of the west coast no. late, late night games right like it's just it's too late yeah um and and so you know he he, he really wasn't wasn't seen and and he just kind of came out of nowhere and that the you know everybody just kept on talking you know have you seen this have you seen this and just the momentum built mm-hmm. and 
when you take the time to actually, you know, you have to beg, borrow, and steal to get film from a BYU, right? But if you watch a full game and you, and you look at what he can do, uh, very good pocket presence. You know, he's able to to find throwing lanes, off angle throws, off platform, off schedule. Um, there was some, I think it was a PFF stat or something where he he was able to. He was the highest percentage, um, you know, on, you know, any other read other than the first read, mm-hmm. like second, third read and right. um, all those sorts of things. And, and that's really who he is. Um, and, and he's he's got a, you know, just a cannon of an arm. Right. And just like I said, came out of nowhere. But yeah. but he's, he's a dick. like he's uh, yeah. he's 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 a dude. I agree. I, I didn't really know a whole lot in this past week on the uh JTO Sullivan's QB school there. He posted a bunch of different videos of him and I, uh, I watched all of them and yeah, you know, you're right. I, uh, I didn't know like how live his arm was. Like he's got a, he's very twitchy, like as an athlete and he's got a very live arm. He was making some throws like from the far hash, like on a dime, like on the guy's break. Like he, he's got some very, uh, very good tools with his arm. So I can kind of see the, um, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, you know, sort of references that just he's sort of like that. So, so yeah, I I think he's pretty good. After watching that film, I, I was definitely impressed. I mean, the one thing you can say about Wilson and, and you know, take it with a grain of salt is like level of competition, right? Yeah. And that's nothing in his control. I mean, you, you, you mow down whoever's in front of you and, and if you're successful, you know, then you, then we have these types of conversations, right? right. And, and um I don't see anything that, that he's done at BYU that doesn't translate. No, right? and I actually kind of think, like, just as, as a coach, obviously, and you can attest to this, is, like, the fact that maybe he didn't play on, you know, an Alabama or a Clemson roster, and he had to fight, scratch, and claw every week to get wins. And, yeah, maybe the talent around him wasn't, you know, at the at the highest echelon, and maybe his competition is the same to some degree, but... I still think that there's that element of every week having a fight and just, you know, get wins for your team and, and, you know, be productive and kind of like be the main guy is different than like, you know, being, let's say, Justin Fields at Ohio State where he's surrounded by just, you know, the most elite talent. And not that he's not talented, but it's just it's just a different scenario. Right. So I kind of think for Zach Wilson that that will probably be a good thing going like going into the future for him in the NFL that. You know, we kind of see that with, like, you know, a guy like Josh Allen at Wyoming, right? He kind of didn't have the greatest collegiate career, but he's definitely producing now at a high level. And I think maybe having to, you know, he got a lot of reps when he was in college, and I think that's super important. But then also just, you know, that that competition of, like, really having to lead your team, I think is huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you, you learn a lot in those those moments, yeah. right? And and uh, um, it, it it's can be really telling the character of, of, of a person when you have to go through trials and tribulations. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are things that you, you might not get as much when you're talking about the, the Clemson's and the Alabama's and the Ohio States, right. right. The, the, the guy, when you're, when you're surrounded with, with talent and, you know, amazing coaches and amazing facilities and all those things, you know, you don't have to struggle as much, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you're, you're, um, you're able to, to get through the competition. And oftentimes you're, you're, you're resting by the time you hit fourth quarters because you're, you have a 20, 30 point lead, right? Yes, exactly. 
Okay, so after Wilson, how, who do you got next? Uh, well, you mentioned him just now, Justin Fields. And, and um, I mean, it's been Lawrence and Fields 1-2 for about two years. And I think every time you start talking NFL draft, you start talking quarterbacks, and this quarterback could be number one, right? You're under a microscope for a long period of time, you know, like Clemson, Ohio State. You're you're under the, the microscope, if you will, for um, – for a long time and and people overthink things people overanalyze they're they're trying to find things wrong and mm-hmm. um some of the uh, prospect like wilson hasn't had to go through that scrutiny as much right and so i think by the time you you get to this stage of it and you've had two years of it you know there's just it's there's there's almost this backlash if you will where they're you're you're over scrutinizing a prospect right. And, and there's really nothing not to like about his game. I mean, I don't buy into the work ethic thing. No. That's the narrative that's kind of come out in the last week. I don't buy it. Um, you know, uh, players and coaches have come out and, and supported him. Um, and, and this whole idea about he can't get off the, the you know, first his read. first progression, right? right? It's for read. And, and you know, if it's open, you throw it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, what, like, let's be real. Right. right. So, um, and, and there's going to be a lot of that. I mean, he's at Ohio state, right. Yeah. He's got dudes. And, and sometimes the, the, the opponent on the other side, you know, can't, can't keep up. So, uh, you know, but when you look at games like Alabama, um, you know, national championship and all that, I mean, they're, they're a third of his throws were, were to second, third reads, right. Yeah. Like, it's overblown. Absolutely. He's uh yeah, I think I think you're totally spot on with the fact that it just like people are just looking for things to criticize on some of these guys, like the like the Trevor Lawrences and the Justin Fields that have been at the top of the talk for the last couple of years, like you said. Um, you know, one analogy I heard the other day about actually Trey Lance, but I thought after hearing it, I was like, that's more like Justin Fields was in a, a comparison with like Steve McNair. And I thought, you know what, like, if you look at like Steve McNair, like in Justin Fields, very similar in like big body guys, super mobile, like very hard to tackle, like kind of remind me of like Ben, young Ben Roethlisberger, like just kind of extending plays because they can't take them down. Like, I don't know, he, he's got some great ability. I, I think he's going to be a good quarterback. And, and I agree with you. I think, I think he should be, I think he, to me, honestly, like, I think he's probably number two or number three, but I see why people like Zach Wilson a little bit more right now. Um, But I, in the right scenario, maybe like at the Niners at number three, I really like him there. Yeah, no, I, I, it's just, you mentioned Trey Lance and and he's my number four. I'm not going to hide it here, but I mean, uh, both fields and, and Lance, I mean, they, they add value to, to the run game. Right. Right. And, And that's, feeling right and so as you know as an offensive coordinator keeping that guy healthy and upright i mean that that's a scary proposition yes. but the ability to expand the playbook um by adding the qb into the run game mm-hmm. um causes defensive defenses fits trust right mm-hmm. like it's 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 a concern mm-hmm. um and and to to add that passing ability um at the high end like those two can do yes uh, i mean if everything clicks and you can protect them and keep them healthy, sky's the limit for your offense. Okay. So Trey Lance at number four, who do you got at number five? 
Uh, well, I mean, Mac Jones, right? And and he's the guy that, that's just been climbing and climbing and climbing. And I think, you know, from what I'm, I'm hearing and reading and, and watching, um, you know, he legitimately is, uh, could come into the top 10. Like, um, uh, media and, and uh, armchair quarterbacks like ourselves, you know, we're probably uh, down more on Mac Jones than NFL circles are from what I'm understanding. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I look at him, uh, you know, he's, he's, I see Drew Brees, right. And, and I'm not saying he's going to have a hall of fame caliber worthy career, but mm-hmm. that's who he is to me as a player. He's, he's mobile enough to move around in the pocket, find lanes um, and just distribute, distribute the ball very efficiently. And, and, um, you know, that's the flip side of that coin when you're talking about a, a fields or a lens and adding to, to uh, the run game, right? Yeah. Um, this is distributing the ball in a different way and being efficient at it and getting the ball into playmakers' hands and making good decisions. And that's what he does really well. Right. And, and that skill is more the traditional NFL quarterback, right? So that's why yeah. the attention is there and he's really rising. Um, the one thing I heard about him that was pretty cool was from uh, their offensive coordinator, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, was just that, you know, with him running the offense, he was able to expand the playbook more than any other quarterback he's ever worked with. So I thought that spoke to, obviously, Mac Jones's intelligence and ability. That, that says something, too, right? Because they're coming off of Tua, yes. who was a top-five pick, right? right. Like So to, to, to go from a top-five pick and expand your playbook? Yeah with having Mac Jones there. I mean, that says a lot about him for sure. Okay. So that's your top five. This now I want to go into kind of a, a little bit of a mock draft for you. I'd like to hear your top 10. Uh, you ready for that? All right, let's do it. All right. All right. Okay. So we're starting with Jacksonville. You're on the clock with Jacksonville. I think I know who you got, but go ahead, coach. Well, Trevor Lawrence, man. Okay. He's, he's, he's the pick. Let's not overthink it. Turn in the card. You know, done and done and dusted. I'm with you. I agree. Okay, moving on. New York Jets. Who they got with number two? Uh, I honestly, Zach Wilson. And I know they they drafted Sam Darnold recently. Um, hasn't quite worked out with him for a number of reasons. We can get into that. That we could have a whole whole show on yeah. on how they messed that up. Right. Uh, but. Um, I just think they reset the QB clock, right? There's that that thinking nowadays where there's a window to win under the QB when he's on a rookie rookie contract. contract yeah. And um, they didn't do a great job of supporting Sam Darnold. They reset the clock, take Wilson, build around him. You know, Sam's in the in the trade window and and get some pieces and continue to add. Okay, I'm with it. I understand. Let's go uh, pick three with the 49ers. Who do you think they're – and they moved up to get this pick. They did. They gave up a lot, three picks, right? Uh, well, more than three picks, right? Three firsts. And, uh, you know, I – if you're going to do that, you you need to be certain that you're going to get get a dude, right? right? And everybody, I think right now everybody's saying, Mac Jones, he's a Shanahan type of guy, what have you. And I can see it, but what quarterback hasn't worked in a Shanahan offense? Mm-hmm. Right? You're right, and he still hasn't—he still hasn't won at all. True. Right. So, so the appeal to me here is—it's—it's it's Fields. Um, you know, he adds something that other QBs can't. 
Shanahan can actually expand on his playbook, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and really take it someplace where he's never been. And, and, and I, I believe Fields is the pick. No, I, I love it. Okay, number four, we got the Atlanta Falcons. Would you like so there? this one's tough, right? Yeah. Because Atlanta, like, could they take a QB of the future? Do they need a QB of the future? Eventually. I think I think that's not the direction they go, though. I think the draft really begins here, and this is if they if they stay at four, um, they're drafting the best non QB, um, and if not, they're going to trade back and, and collect some picks here. But since we're not doing trades, it's it's, it's Kyle Pitts. He's the the best non QB in this draft, in my opinion. He's just a ma- you know matchup nightmare, if you will. Yeah, I actually watching his pro day the other day. I was just thinking about like just his body type and kind of how he is. Like, do you think that he? Well, I think you kind of you kind of do based upon picking him at number four. But like, I kind of after seeing him, I'm like, he's the best weapon there. Like, in terms of tight ends, you know, receivers, running backs, whatever. He's the best weapon. Like that guy. I, I think they'll be able to play him more like a traditional receiver. I think he's more like a Chase Claypool than he is a tight end. I, I know he's, like, gained some weight, and he's a willing blocker, and he's really try, trying to work at that. But I just think, like, the best thing for him would be isolate him, get him in situations on linebackers. But, I mean, he's going to be a vertical threat down the field. He's a tremendous talent. Absolutely. So. And you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, he, he's he, – to be able to scheme and move him around and, and match him up, whether that's with the – you know, against a linebacker or a slot or what have you, right? Like, yeah. he's too big. He's going to outbody, you know, the, the corners. He's too fast. He's going to outrun the linebackers. Um, he's got great wingspan, great separation. His route running's on point. Like, to me, he's – if he spent his entire time lined up out wide, we're talking Calvin Johnson. Yes, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking as well. So, we're on the same page there. Okay, well, moving on, how about the Bengals at number five? Um, so I think the Bengals, they're always hard to read, right? They, they kind of always march the beat of their own drum and, and, um, you're always kind of sometimes scratching your head at the end of draft day, kind of going, how is that guy on their board so much higher than everybody else? But I think this year it kind of falls in line a little bit. They could go one or two directions. They can get some weapons for Burrow or they can protect Burrow. That's those are their two things. Yeah, the two concerns. I think they're going with Jamar Chase. I think they they get Burrow, his former collegiate teammate, get him a weapon, and um, you know they'll they're in a good spot because the draft is so deep at those two spots, wide receiver and offensive tackle this year, that they could easily you know if they pick the one, grab the other at the top end of the second round. Right. Okay. So you like going with the receiver at number five, Jamar Chase, to the Bengals. How about number six to, to the Dolphins? Who do you like there? Well, I mean, they, it's the same argument as as the Bengals, right? You, yeah. you just drafted to, um, you know, he's got a bit of an injury history, what have you. You want to support him. And, and those are the two ways you can support a young QB is protect him, get him weapons. And so, I mean, the fact that, you know, Panay Sewell is there and, and he's a beast and a phenom and i don't even think he's 21 yet i mean i think they draft him and they they figure out the offensive line right 
They they drafted a, a late first round tackle last year, and they have another tackle, a young tackle on the other side that they like. Can't remember the name, but you know, um, they'll flip one inside. They'll figure it out. Yeah, no, I think that's a smart decision. He he looks like an absolute beast out there. Um, okay, so number seven, the Detroit Lions. Who who you got them taking? It has to be a receiver, right? Like you look at their depth chart right now. They that wide receiver wide receiver room is bare. I mean, Galladay signed elsewhere. You know, like it's just they pulled off this trade and they got Goff coming in. Um, they need they need to give him some support. And uh, so I have Jalen Waddle. And um, you could say, well, why Waddle over Devontae Smith, the Heisman winner, yeah. what have you? And I just look at it and I go. Um, Waddle has it has speed, right? And and that is is something at the wide receiver position that um, you have to account for. Mm-hmm. And um, if he doesn't get injured, he might have been having that Heisman year, right? He was right. playing out of the roof until he got this uh, got injured, um, and then Devontae, you know, kind of took over the rest of the way and and had an amazing nothing to take away from him. He's fantastic, but. Um, but Waddle's Waddle's ability to tr- get his touches and break things open in a traditional way without having to scheme them open yeah. is the reason why he's the pick for me. Yeah, super explosive player. I agree. Okay, Carolina Panthers at number eight. So I think it's QB here, and you could go either Trey Lance or Mac Jones. Um, I just like the upside of Trey Lance, and and I love the North Dakota State program, so it's right. a bit of a you know, my own personal bias here, but I, I just think he's the pick. Um, and again, expand that playbook, grow around somebody. Um, I believe uh, Bridgewater's still there. Yeah. I, I think, I'm not sure. I think so. I, I'd have to double check, but I, I mean, he's he's good enough. If if you feel that Trey Lance isn't a day one starter because he needs time to, time to develop, mm-hmm. you have some time. No, I like that. Um, okay. Uh, Denver's at number nine. Who do you got there? Uh, Micah Parsons, right? Best defensive player in the draft. Um, just a phenom of a, of an athlete, um, you know, linebacker and, and, you know, they've been building on off on offense for some time and, you know, uh, Drew Locke hasn't worked out the way they wanted. I, I bet you they wish that one of these quarterbacks fell to them. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and maybe they, they take it into their own hands and they trade up to get one of them. I don't know. Or they, they look at the trade market. But, it, you know, uh, for our mock draft here, get get the defensive head coach at, at defensive baller. Let's build up that side, side of the ball. And, and he can't get any better than Micah Parsons. No. He's a tremendous player. Okay, so finishing off your top ten here, we got the Dallas Chow Boys. Who you got them taking? Uh I mean, it has to be a corner. I mean, they it, it's it just screams corner here. It's it's as much of a no brainer to me as as it is Lawrence at one. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick Sertain is is the guy I think. Um, you know, big name, big program. You know, uh, go into Big D. I just think that those two are a match made in heaven and and uh, cleanest corner in the draft. Yeah, and obviously the lineage from his from his dad, right? So, um, absolutely. 
Okay, that's the top ten. Now, one thing you did allude to when we were talking about this, you know, you've got a number of quarterbacks going in that top ten, but, you know, the trade market and, and possibilities, obviously there's been a lot of quarterbacks that uh, kind of been talked about. You know, Russell Wilson's trying to get out of Seattle to some extent. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but, uh, you know, there's obviously some others. Um, you know, Sam Darnold will probably be on the move with, with the Jets. Uh, how do you see maybe Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, what, what do you think, anything on draft day do you see happening? Oh, yeah. This, like, so we did a, a, the top 10 here, no trades or what have you. There is absolutely no way that this draft order happens on draft day. Yeah. I, there's, there's no way. And, and whether it's one trade, two trades, three trades, I don't know. But um, those, those quarterbacks are going to be in, in, involved in that, um, especially if it goes somewhat to, to what we just discussed. Uh, Arnold, Garoppolo, you mentioned Wilson. Um, you know, we mentioned, we haven't even mentioned, you know, our, our man in Houston, uh, under a lot of scrutiny right yeah, now no who knows how that plays out right and who knows what to believe in that right um you know hopefully none of that's true right. but um even aaron Rodgers. yeah you know like i know that's kind of a far-fetched thing i think him and wilson being moved is kind of far-fetched but you know uh i don't know a lot could happen what about you know you mentioned Rodgers and I don't think he moves, but they drafted a quarterback last year that didn't sniff the field. Right. What about a Brett Favre type trade, you know, a la New Orleans to, to Green Bay, yeah. right? Jordan Love, he maybe there's a market for him. Um, you know, I, I see a team like if if they miss out on it, you know, we got, um, you know, Denver in our our draft missed out. I see them going big on on uh, on Darnold. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know uh, if there's a reunion happening in New England and, and you bring Jimmy G back, yeah. you know, what have you. Um, I hear the asking price is, is a one. I don't know if any team's going to get there um, with, with his injury history and, and his contract. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting, but, but there's a lot of moving pieces. Back at it for the second quarter with Coach Stefan Hirsch. So, Coach, uh, for my audience here, I'd love for you to kind of tell your football story. To talk about, you know, growing up and you know your love for for sports and for football, and kind of talk about your 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 playing days and take us from the beginnings to uh, to the end of of, of that of that time. Fair enough. Yeah, it was it was uh, a little bit shorter than I had hoped. I think. Uh... I'll call time on it, uh, whether it's by choice or, or the decisions made for you. But uh, I was kind of the, the latter and not the former. But, uh, yeah, me too. but yeah, NK kid, uh, Winnipeg, born and, born and raised. Um, you know, I grew up actually playing soccer. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, I started early. I was playing soccer from four until, until I found football, basically, at 12. Um, I played some baseball and, and, uh, tried my hand at a few other things, curling, you, you name it. I was just whatever, whatever the season, whatever ball was being, being, uh, you know, um, thrown out there in, in gym class or what have you, I was, I was playing it. Um, wasn't much of a hockey guy. I kind of got duped out of that by my parents. They just didn't, didn't want me to get injured or hurt in hockey. And, and by the time everybody, I started getting interested um, you know, all my buddies were so much further advanced that right. I was just like, eh, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. 
So, uh, soccer was, was my jam. And, uh, um, you know, like I said, found football at, at 12, I had some buddies, you know, I was always kind of one of the bigger kids, uh, kind of growing up and, and they kind of, um, you know, got me involved and, uh, went out for East side and, and, um, you know, I tried doing playing both soccer and football that that summer, and and that wasn't gonna keep up. Um, football started sooner, and and by the time soccer practices started started up, uh, it was just I couldn't do both anymore. I had to make a decision, and and football won over, and it, best decision I ever made. And um, you know, from there, you know, uh, you know, back in the back at that time, like our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, there wasn't as much football out there, right? It was like there was club football and there was high school football, and and at the time there was maybe two leagues of high school football, maybe 15, 20 teams. I, I can't remember exactly, but you know, in North Kildonan at the time, it was either you're playing Eastside Eagles, where you start playing, you know, club football at the amateur level when you're 12 or or younger. Um, or you, you go off to the, the local team and for NK, it was, it was River East. And I was one of those kids that at that time stayed with, with club football and, and had that experience. Um, and, but it was amazing because, you know, there was only two teams in our community at the time. There was an Elmwood hadn't come back yet. Um, Miles Mack didn't have a team. Kildonan East didn't have a team. You know, Murdoch wasn't around in Transcona, so it was just Transcona Nationals out there playing club ball. Um, There's no West K, so really you have all this wealth of talent, and either you happen to be at River East and play football there, or you stay at the club ball and you, and you ball out there. And and as you know, like pre our days, club football was where where it was at. High right. school was thought of as an as an afterthought. Yeah. And that switched ever since uh, our time. Yes. And I just kind of blew up. Um, so, okay. so we there and, and uh, during that time, you know, River East won a championship. I never was successful winning a championship. Very, very, very close a few times. And, and uh, you know, we have buddies that were on the opposition that, that won them all, um, you know, Huck <laughs> uh, Black and, and Johnston there and yes. what have you. And, and so, uh, to be able to come back and, and coach with those guys, it's it's kind of it's awesome, but at the same time, kind of bittersweet because I still kind of resent them a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely, and they're the first ones to rub it in our face. Oh, they do it endlessly, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's all in good fun. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I had a great experience. had had some great coaches. Was fortunate enough to to have opportunities to to play on provincial team and then, you know, go off. And I went to, to McGill university and I had uh, a, a number of options, uh, thankfully. Um, but I, I, it was more, uh, an education decision. It wasn't necessarily a, let's win a, a national championship because, uh, you know, as an educational school, generally those teams struggle to win national championships, but, uh, um, Loved my time out there and, and got to, got to play uh, significantly. Um, you know, spent two years there, and unfortunately, you know, my dad's health kind of took a turn and, and had to make a decision and, and chose to transfer back to U of M. Um, but I had to sit out, I had to do a, a redshirt year, and um, from there, you know, rather than just being a practice dummy, uh, you know, all these Manitoba boys without junior football here in the province, no Winnipeg Rifles. 
you know, you were an inaugural rifle. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but without them there, you, you know, there was a void. And so, um, Chilliwack came in about three quarters of the team were from Manitoba at the yeah, time. They were. And uh, all those players that I played with on the provincial team were, were out there. And I got a phone call one day, Hey, come on out, drove a car out there, drove all the way out to, to Chilliwack in the Valley and, uh, crashed on their couch and never left. So <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a really awesome football experience. You, you kind of go through, um, you go from kind of have to have not situation, right? Facilities and what have you at McGill to, mm-hmm. to um, you know, uh, very much uh, boots on boots on the ground. Like we're we're building from from the bottom, you Bare know, with, with a junior program, right? Yeah. Always the case, and that's that's not a knock on junior programs whatsoever. I loved it. I refound a passion. You know, I kind of got um, put into the football. Uh, system, if you will, by going into the university road and, and, uh, which was an awesome experience, but a huge eye opener. And, and, you know, when everything's kind of clocked for you and time for you and dictated to you, you can get a little, little dissuade uh, at times. And, and so the experience out in Chilliwack, I was able to, to find a passion for it again and, and to be there with friends that I knew and I trusted and what have you. And, and, being so close knit and having that community was just an awesome experience. What happens after that in terms of football? Um, well, unfortunately, I, I alluded to it earlier in our segment. Um, you know, uh, it, my time ended not on my own terms. It was a knee injury. Um, you know, I probably could have come back bigger, stronger, faster uh, if my mind was there. But my dad's health continued to go south, and and it became. Um, quality of life decision and and there were other things that became more important and and so that's that's the reason why i stepped away and and um you know um have some regrets i wish i could have furthered and and had more experiences i do think i had some some talent who knows where that would have taken me um but um you know uh, all in all, like to go from coast to coast, who you know, yeah. and, and play and compete at, at such a high level, like no, no regrets whatsoever. Yeah. I, I really love kind of the gratitude about that, right? Like, you know, maybe things didn't end the way you wanted them to, or the you know, you didn't fulfill the dream like you had envisioned, maybe from the start. But you know, to be grateful for all the things that you did accomplish, and you know, just to kind of look back, I think is, is pretty cool. Um, you know, so I remember hearing about you kind of, you know, through our days, but I didn't actually meet you until we coached together, I think in 2012 at Vincent Massey on the JV staff. And, and I know you, you know, you had a little bit of a coaching career prior to that. I'm interested, like when you were still playing, did you envision yourself like as a coach in the future? Was that something you were like, you know, what, this is something I'm going to do in the future? You know what? Absolutely not. Wasn't even on my radar. Really? Eh? Not one bit. Um, you know, I appreciated my coaches. I appreciated my mentors and and the experiences I had. I just, um, I wasn't certain that it would be a great fit for me. You know, for whatever reason, I don't know why I had that in my head. Um, but it was actually former coaches who, after my playing days were over, convinced me to come out and pitch in here and there at Eastside. And, um, you know, um, they're just down the street from me. You know, I 
come back home, finishing up my university degree and, and they're just down the street. And, and it was easy to, to go in and, and, you know, pitch in and, and pass on knowledge and, and, um, share the, the experiences I had. And, and from there it kind of blossomed and, 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 um, so rewarding the coaching experience. And, and you'll probably agree with this statement. It's anything that I or accomplished as a football player pales in comparison to um, what I've, I've done as a coach and the been able to um, pass on to, to the next generation. Right. And that's, that's way more fulfilling to me than, than anything I ever did. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, you know, you, you kind of already mentioned it, but you got into coaching with the Eastside Eagles, uh, you know, coaching young guys. And, and I kind of did the same thing when I first got into coaching. And like you said, it, it's pretty cool to be around those guys, especially when you're pretty young. I found that you could connect with them really easily. They were kind of like sponges and looked up to you. And it was just kind of really fun at that age. Uh, lots of good feel good moments about that. But uh, from, from that point, Steph, take, take me through your coaching career up until today. Yeah, so um, met um, some other coaches while at Eastside, and, and Miles Mack had just got a team. This is I was maybe what twenty two at the time, and and so I, I actually went to Miles Mack. Um, I didn't go to River East. I didn't go to to KD or anything. So in North Caledonia, and you know, I was in the, the IB program, and I went to Miles Mack and played at Eastside. And okay. so they come in with the team. And uh, I was actually able to, to get a job as an educational assistant there. I thought maybe going at that point, I was thinking maybe do I go and get an education degree and, and get into, you know, the school system and, and, and do that. And so I was kind of testing things out, got a job there as an EA and um, it was a great experience. And I was able to, to coach at the same time with Corey Kaplick, who started the program, you know, um, trail setter, if you will, right. um, for, for that area. And, um, you know, I spent a, a year or two there and, um, really got to, to be a positional coach for the first time and, and kind of contribute a little bit more, um, you know, in that sense. And then from there, I, I was fortunate enough. I was like, you know what? I really enjoy this coaching thing. I have a good relationship and no, I never played with Brian for Brian Doby and I never played at the Bisons, but they were always, you know, reaching out, touching base with me. And, and, and I created a great relationship with, with, with them and the staff. And, and so I reached out to them. I just said, Hey, you know what? I'm really enjoying coaching. Do you have like, doesn't matter what it is to have some way for me to contribute. And, um, Brian true to form and true to his nature, he, he, gave me an opportunity and, and I was able to, to come in as a defensive assistant and work with Stan Pierre. And wow. um, that first year we won a Vanny cup. Yeah. So I was, you know, doing the cutups and um, getting, helping Stan prepare for practice and, and all his film meetings and all those sorts of things. So got to really work on the back end of things. And, and uh, the following year that, you know, trying to repeat didn't go to form, but I was given more responsibility, got to work scout team and, and all those sorts of things. And so learned a lot. Also learned that I needed to, an opportunity to go out and, and try things, you know, okay. um, and, and learn, you know, maybe fall on my face a little bit, right. And, and experience you know, having more control over things. And, and so Chris Johnston and 
our buddy, yep. you know, um, he was working at football Manitoba at the time, actually as a, um, a technical director. And, and he reached out and said, Hey, you know what? I'm coaching with Kelsey McKay at, at Vincent Massey. We just had our first season. We're, we're starting a, you know, a JV team. I, I want you to, to come in and, and, uh, and be part of my staff. And so we had some, some good conversations and, and it was the right opportunity at the right time. And, I was able to, to, to go there. We won a championship and, and, you know, it took some time building up because it wasn't a football school. It became a football school, but at the time it was really about changing that culture and awesome, awesome experience, awesome people. Um, super enjoyed that experience and, um, you know, work and some other things kind of meant that I had to step away for a little bit. And from there, you know, we ended up coaching together again right. um, at your uh, last stop with, with rifles for a bit. So, yeah. And that was, that was a cool experience for you because that was a change in uh, the side of the ball, right? You have always been a defensive guy and you got the opportunity to coach some receivers and be on the offensive side and work with me. Uh, what did you think about that experience and just switching sides? Invaluable, right? I mean, to you go from trying to stop all these offenses and and uh, to going into the offensive room and, and hearing how you guys think, how you guys break things down, how you try to set things up, um, to see how you move the pieces. Because as a defensive coordinator, all defenses are reactive to what you do. And to be able to gain that insight just made me just a way better coach and uh, loved loved that that experience uh, for that reason. And um, I, if anything, if you look at my my coaching career, if you will, um, you know, grew in responsibility every stop that I went to. I took on more, and you know, then flip sides the ball. You know, I'm have another opportunity as, as a U16 head coach as well. We'll talk about that, I'm yeah. sure. But, um, you know, all of those sorts of things, there was a progression to it. And, and if there's any advice for young coaches out there, if you're listening, you know, um, try to do things that are outside your comfort zone. You know, if it means coaching D-line instead of linebacker for a year or, you know, being a DB coach or what have you. Um, the awesome thing about JV football is you can have your hand in all of that, mm -hmm. right? And and so, yeah, I was a DC, but I was also coaching linebackers. And then the year where we didn't have a D-line coach, I was the D-line coach. And the year we didn't have a DB coach, I was a DB coach. And so it really challenges you to get good at a lot of things. And so working with youth is a great way of doing that, building from those experiences, and then figuring out what you're good at too, right? And and growing and, and what have you. So if you have the opportunity to to try different positions, flip sides of the ball, like 100% do it. Don't think about it. Um, you know, it, it's well worth your time and investment. Absolutely. I, I love how you, you know, you kind of give insight on that and, you know, putting yourself out there and taking chances, taking risks. I think that's so important. Um, the one thing that, uh, you know, we didn't talk about, but I know that you've had a, a recruiting connection uh, with top prospects in the past, um, and, and you definitely have an interest in that sort of uh, line of work. So, you know, speak upon that experience with uh, Kent Ridley, Shamari Williams, uh, helping out with top, top prospects. Yeah, so... Um... 
can't remember the time frame of when when I did it, but I, I did. Um, I, I was interested in in um, my my degree. I have a degree in in recreation management and and community development, and so I really am kind of geared towards kind of sport management and and that side of things. So at one time I was you know contemplating you know working for a pro team, you know. Um, and, and thought about getting into professional sports, you know, professional football that way. And so I took an online course, um, you know, that's uh, pretty prevalent, uh, sports management worldwide. Um, they have some awesome courses. And I took a GM and scouting course. And I actually, one of the teachers was Mark Tressman. Oh, cool. um, and I, you know, was able to connect with him on, well, it wasn't Zoom back then, but we would do, do calls and stuff. And, sure. and we would connect with our headphones and, and we would chat. And, um, you know, I actually was emailing and texting uh, back in, before he became the Alouettes head coach. So okay. This was pre-Alouettes, right? And so cool. really awesome experience. And uh, I actually met Kent. Not, we weren't in the same class, but we went through the same course. And so top prospects um was just starting out shamari number one overall pick um in the cfl draft played out of houston and queens um university and in ontario there and um so he's put together this um you know database of of athletes and and he was going around the country and doing combines and testing and talking about how to get yourself recruited and all those sorts of things. And they were coming out to, to Winnipeg. And so um, I researched who they were, right? And I think it was around the first or second year of me coaching JV at, at Massey when this was happening and, and uh, connected with Kent and realized the connection there. And he's like, come on down. We need help. Do you know any coaches who can help out? And, and we went and, fostered a relationship there to the point where, you know, when they came to Manitoba and um, they were, I was basically coordinating the combine and, mm -hmm. and writing articles and, you know, giving my opinions and, you know, uh, telling, you know, coming up with, um, you know, lists of players to contact and things of that nature. So really cool experience. And, and I still talk to both those guys all the time. Um, COVID kind of, put uh put a squash on on all those things that they're doing but um you know they'll they'll, they'll be back out in force and and uh, i'm sure I'll, I'll have some sort of hand in in some of those endeavors when, when they get back to that back at it for the third quarter with coach stefan hirsch Coach, thank you for, for being on for the third quarter. My last guest, he, he didn't make it past halftime, so I'm pretty excited to have you still on here with me. And, uh, you know, just going into, we were talking about your coaching background. Um, you are the current U16 head football coach. You hired me as your offensive coordinator to run the offense. And, you know, uh, you put together a pretty cool staff of, of some young guys and some older guys like myself. Can you talk about that staff and, and maybe what you were looking forward to working with us? It seems like ages ago already. I mean, uh, everything kind of ended with, with COVID last year. Um, you know, we were just kind of getting through the initial uh, eval phase, if you will. And, and we haven't even hadn't even coached a, a practice yet as, as a staff. So uh, I'm looking forward to it eventually coming back, um, you know, together and having that opportunity and, 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 um, but awesome staff, awesome group that we put together. Um, I'm 
was really excited with the direction we were going because we, we had already met, done evals, we were talking playbooks, we were we we were really really well placed with where we were in in, in kind of the process, if you will, and um, the the staff is was everything, right? I mean, you, you can't do that and be in that position without an amazing staff. And, um, you know, yourself on the offensive side, you know, QB uh, guru, QB coach, offensive coordinator, a no-brainer with our relationship, but it was always going to be you. And, you know, maybe I don't I don't take that opportunity if, if, if you weren't able to, to help me in that regard, right? But um, Eric Ewan, running backs coach, you know somebody else that coached with us and, and long history there uh awesome awesome person awesome coach um chris blagden uh at wide receivers and another um guy who's just it's a young coach and but really eager and, and really keen educator you know works at massey now nice. uh in the school system um and then brandon Michelow, right mm-hmm. um he's from st paul's and and you know he he is so enthusiastic and just an awesome communicator and just a, a real joy to work with and i think you'd agree with that in, in the in the time you spent uh you know in the rooms there and and just really really well versed in in a bunch of different blocking schemes so really excited to have him on board and and then uh, myself i was in a dc as well and and uh, that is you know probably the game plan going forward when we can get the, the group back together um but brought in some some great people on that side of the ball as well that will entertain all my crazy ideas and <laughs> and uh what have you and kind of uh keep me in check in in a lot of ways but uh chris ruiz uh, a linebacker and um you know coming from massey and and uh i worked with him and um you know, highly respect uh, what he brings to the table and, and just a great dude. Um, you know, Thor Sigmar, another St. Paul's guy on the defensive line, actually a former QB, you know, and then switched to the defensive line. And, and uh, um, that's that's his bread and butter now. And, and uh, he, he brings a lot to the table when, when we start talking about, you know, front seven type stuff and, you know, um, different... Um, different techniques and things. And he learns from uh, some great people out in St. Paul's too, right? Yes. You, you 18 head coach, uh, Jason Park, um, had nothing but amazing things to say and, and didn't disappoint. Um, so loved, uh, loved have being able to bring him in. And then uh, at DB, Sam Andrade. Um, he is at River East now, but he was at Maples. Um, and he was... Uh, on the U16 staff previously, and and uh, all the coaches from the previous staff, who uh, you and I both know and and respect, um, had nothing but amazing things to say about him. And and uh, true to form, you know, they were right. And uh, so a lot of great people, a lot of really strong coaches, and a lot of hungry coaches. And um, that was what I was looking for. Is I, I wanted people that, um, you know, were confident, can coach. And we're we're willing to step up and voice their opinions. And I think a good coaching staff, there needs to be a back and forth. And then we come to a decision. And uh, once the decision is made, whatever side of that conversation you're on, it's that that ends. And it's a team decision. And it's it's all in together moving forward. And uh, we we were doing that. 
we were. And then obviously, you know, we all know what happened next and COVID hit and we're all kind of on pause waiting. But I agree with you. The staff that you've put together, uh, both offensively and, def- and defensively, are, is very competent to coach at that U16 level. A lot of eager coaches, a lot of guys that are really wanting to be out there and got a lot of passion. So I look forward to uh, when we can kind of, you know, put ourselves back together again and get going. I don't know if that'll happen this year or next year, but whenever it does, I think we're we're ready for it. So uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk a little bit about, uh, you sent me an article this week about uh, Canadian running back that's in the NFL draft from Oklahoma State, Chubba Hubbard. Um, can you kind of give me an overview about that article and kind of what stuck out to you about it? Yeah, so, I mean, the article, uh, one, you it's awesome to be talking about Canadian footballers and the NFL, right? I right. mean, um, you know, and and he legitimately uh, was a Heisman Trophy candidate two years ago. And senior season, you know, injuries and a few things, what have you. Um, but, but he's in the NFL draft and he's, he's, he's going to be drafted where he goes and how high he goes, who knows? Um, there's a lot of talk there, but, um, amazing story. And, um, the, the thing about his story is he, he played at Bev Facey, uh, which is a school just outside of Edmonton. And he played there his whole high school career and still had the opportunity to, uh, go down to Oklahoma state. Um, what was really interesting is and and that's in and of itself is an awesome awesome story and and similar to to that uh was chase claypool last year right same yes. thing he he played out in uh bc and went straight to notre dame and and so those guys um that story of being able to play their entire high school career in canada and go um to the u.s one is amazing but two it's really unheard of and that was kind of the unique thing of the article um is is to go to a power five program right of you know a major u.s uh college team straight out of canada and the thing that really stuck out to me is is while it's possible at the end of the day it still took a lot of things to fall into place for these amazing athletes and amazing players right right uh, Shuba's story was was about the relationships and the word of mouth and it was actually a provincial teammate of his um that uh was being recruited through his own relationships at Oklahoma State that passed on his name right mm-hmm. and um coaches vouching for players and things like that and and so um while it's growing and Canadians are trending in the upwards direction towards you know, um, you know, being on level with with Americans and what have you, and in, in, in competing on in the recruiting cycles and what have you, um, it still comes down to relationships, and and that was my takeaway, right? Right. No, and I think that's very true. Just in life, right? It's it's the people you know, the relationships you make that make the difference. Um, what are your thoughts right now, like on the current state of player development, the difference maybe between Canada and the United States? Oh man, good question. Um, so when it comes down to it, I mean, there are a lot of reasons and factors as to, to why it's, we're, we're behind. Right. And, right. and like that, that's the reality of it is we're behind. And uh, you can look at our, our um, you know, population. You can look at uh, 
um, you know, our um, facilities, our lack of funding, our all these things that we don't have, mm-hmm. um, which are all true. Um, and you can also, um, you know, look at our seasons, right? Like here in Winnipeg, right? We play, um, you know, an eight game regular season. Yeah. Right. And in the U S you know, at the high school level, they're playing, you know, 10 to 12 games a year, right. Depending on how far your team goes. Right. And, um, you know, when you look at, if just mathematics, as far as, you know, games played and ability to um, test yourself and progress and what have you, you're saying we enter high school at grade nine to grade 12. Well, if that difference of eight games versus 12 games, four games a year, mm-hmm. four times four years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that experience alone is invaluable. Yes. Um, so that's a huge disparity. Um, but also the ability to to get into a legitimate strength and conditioning program um like these programs are able to do in the states and and you know these players are getting when they enter into high school um that's a game changer right and so you know the ability to play more and get coaching from paid coaches and not volunteers and um, the ability to, to get strength and conditioning and that gap just, I want to say that we're close to on par with the American athlete at um, the pre high school age. And then the disparity begins to happen. Right. Yes. And um, we punch way above our weight. We do a lot with a little, Mm-hmm. that's amazing i think we need to progress and 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 take that further right and so when you look at player and athlete development in canada um it's really buying into long-term athlete development model the ltad um and and really supporting our, our athletes and developing complete um complete athletes and getting them into the right opportunities and the right training and the right um, experiences to, to offset some of those things we just talked about. How about the fact that, you know, obviously we're in Canada, we're facing a little bit of a, you know, potential situation. There's talks of a CFL XFL merger. Um, you know, if that happens, how do you feel like that affects the, the Canadian athlete, the Canadian football player moving forward? Man, I, um, we're, we're, we're really potentially talking about the death of Canadian football here, Geese. Yeah. We legitimately are. And um, I think, um, you know, I'm not a, a doomsayer by nature. Um, but when I, I kind of read the tea leaves here and I look at the fact that players don't even know that there is a season yet mm-hmm. and we're six weeks out from what is traditionally training camp. Um, all, and, you know, they were denied money. They went to the Canadian government. They went to Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. They they spoke to the NFL about um, you know getting some funding and, and what have you and some sort of partnership or what have you. And they were turned away, mm-hmm. right? And so I just I it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in this situation. But the reality of it is 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 without fans in the stands. There's no sponsorship money. Right. There's no gate. There's no, you know, T 
TSN deal. There's none, none of that happens. And so you kind of need money to play, but at the same token, um, you, you need fans in the stands as well in order to support all, all the things. And, um, probably going to take a lot of flack for it, but I mean, if a merger does happen, if it's not a merger, it's, it's going to be a buyout. Yeah. Like, and, and the longer this goes, this the COVID happens, the, the more that is uh, the unfortunate reality. And, and what does that mean for the three down game and, and the, the rules and the nuances and all the things that, that you and I love about the sport. Right. So it's, it's a very scary proposition. Yeah, it's really worrisome. I, I really worry about the the end of three down football and the Canadian ratio, right? Like those are two things that are definitely like for me concerning and like depending on how that shakes out, uh, I just don't know. Like, you know, I was just uh, over with some of our friends earlier uh, watching some of the basketball and, you know, former CFL player Corey Huckluck, Grey Cup champion, we were talking about it. And, you know, he was like, man, I just hope that they find some sort of alternate way to do this to save the league right rather than merging and and you know losing all our heritage and everything we've we've had over the years so yeah i'm definitely worried about it but uh you know at the same point uh we all want football and you know i'd rather have you know a football league or, or some sort of a, of a, a semblance of a, of a of a league than nothing at all so you know it's tough to it's tough to know what's going to happen but, um, I agree, and and you know, like Corey is a great example, and and we, you and I both, um, you know, know a lot of um, uh, friends now, and 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 colleagues that have played in in the CFL, and and um, you know, um, if it weren't for the ratio, that might not have happened, right? Yeah. And and so I'm, you know, more than anything, like I worry for the players and the Canadian athlete. Um, you know, if kind of going back, right. Like when, if a merger does happen and there's, you know, you know, American division, Canadian division, right. Back in the day when there was the Baltimore stallions and Mike Pringle and, and all that, when, when we tried that experiment the first time around, there was no ratio on the UST. Right. Like they actually had laws saying that it was against, uh, work, work, um, antitrust, right. Antitrust. And, um, you know, they were completely American teams. Yeah. And so I, I just, I don't see how we can do it and maintain the ratio. And, and so what does that mean? And, and there's a lot smarter people on this topic than myself, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it comes down to going back to regional exemptions, right. For homegrown players. Right. And, and maybe the, you know, if, whatever the Winnipeg team, if it's still the blue bombers, hopefully it's still the blue bombers. Right. Maybe, maybe that relationship with the rifles gets strengthened and, and players that they can grow and develop that are regional from here Mm -hmm. that grow and develop through the rifles program and then go on to, to, to play for the professional team. Maybe, maybe you get some sort of, um, you know, exemption or, or, or what have you, like a roster exception or yeah. things of that nature. So I don't know if that's the answer. I don't know, but uh, there, there, there is an answer in there and, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's above my pay grade, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope we figure it out.
Back at it for the fourth quarter with Coach Gies and Coach Stefan Hirsch. So, Coach, obviously uh, there's been big news on my front. Big Air Academy and Pro Prep have uh, collaborated. We have a partnership going for an upcoming camp that's starting up actually this upcoming Monday, so a couple days from now. So I'm pretty pumped about that and that opportunity. You are also kind of uh, venturing into something new, a new project. Can you talk to me about that and kind of tell my audience what you got coming down the pipeline? <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we talked about kind of, you know, what does a football coach do if you can't coach football, right? Like COVID kind of, kind of killed a lot of things for us and yeah. a lot of momentum. And we talked about the U16 experience and all that. And, and so, um, you know, what it did do is, is allowed opportunity to kind of reflect and, and kind of think on, on some different things. And, um, you know, really the, the, the project I'm going to speak on, it, it kind of comes from the COVID world, right? We were all meeting together like this. We were watching football games as, you know, as buddies and, and having beers and, you know, um, you know, um, just interacting and, and mixing it up like we're doing here. And, and um, you know, uh, Eric, actually, Eric Ewan was the one who, who kind of came to me and said, you know what, like, this, this is, this is a podcast. This is, this is, this is, you know, the highlight of my day. It's awesome. And, um, and that kind of comment kind of stuck with me and, and I don't think he thought anything of it at the time, but you know, the more I sat on it, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, I want to build something and grow something of my own that, that I can be proud of that I have, you know, creative control, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, keep doing football, even though I can't do football. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, you know, I'm launching a blog and a podcast, um, simultaneously, uh, I'm looking to launch it before the NFL draft this month. I'm kind of in the last stages of developing the website and, and getting some things tweaked and what have you. Um, but it's, it's, it's called the red howler report. Um, and, uh, you know, me being, you know, coach red, you know, red, um, yeah. <laughs> Red Bush. <laughs> it's a place for us to do monkey business, right? We can get silly, we can have fun with it, and uh, you know, um, bring really tap into all these awesome relationships uh, with with you and and all the other guys, and 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 do something that that's fun and, and lighthearted, and we can still talk X's and O's and what have you, but we can. We can debate things. We can talk about the, you know, the top five QBs or, you know, uh, we can do our mock drafts and what have you. And so um, the blog is, is going to be a landing spot for, for multi-authors, right? And, and bring people in to, to give their expertise opinion, whether it's QBs or, you know, um, their, um, you know, training athletes, um, you know, talk about fantasy football, sports cards. So it's, it's all things football all the time. Um, whether you're a fan player or a coach, uh, there's going to be something involved there. And then, you know, the, the podcast is really kind of what we're doing right now with your podcast, a, a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, it'll be a bit more of a variety show, if you will, and talking what's, what's happening in, in football, what's the state of college football, pro sports, locally, what have you, and, you know, get into maybe some lifestyle type stuff, what have you. But um, I think 
it's highly entertaining and, and just amazing content um, for people to be a fly on the wall in the coach's room, you know, after the players leave and, and we can get into some sodas and, and uh, you know, uh, just mix it up. I think, um, you know, it's must watch TV, if you will. Obviously, I don't mean TV, but, you know, to, to listen in and, and see, see us talking the way we talk, um, I, I think is, 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 is something worthwhile. No, it sounds like an awesome idea and project you got going. I'm looking forward to being involved. Um, kind of again switching gears here. You know, obviously uh, you're a Cleveland Brown fan. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. We we have our uh, our season banter going back and forth. Our text messages about each other. Um, but uh, you know, obviously your Browns got the upper hand this year, beating uh, beating my Steelers in the playoffs. So uh, I got to give it to you. You're you got the you got the lead right now. Um, what what well, is continue. yeah well I don't know about that but anyways what how do you feel about the current state of the Browns what do you think their needs are moving forward and and maybe who do you like in the draft for them yeah I mean I'm feeling pretty good right now I mean you know there's been a lot of false dawns in our history so I, I don't want to jinx anything but uh, I feel like there's some some competent management now uh, some competent coaching. Um, and, and we're trending in the right direction and we're, and we're building and growing a legitimate team. Um, you know, a team that can contend for a long time. Um, so, so very excited. I think, uh, I, I think there's a changing of the guard, if you will, my apologies to you and the Steelers. And, um, you know, as, as somebody who's been on the other side of it for many, many years, um, you know, as much as we give each other stick. Uh, there is there is a healthy respect there for for what you guys have done as an organization for such a long time, and um, so I reveled in it a little bit, probably too much last year, and and, and uh, kind of okay. gave it to you. But uh, it was about twenty years of frustration there. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure I'm uh, sure I'm sure you owed it back to me. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see, right? So. Um, but as far as, as the drafts con- concerned, like, um, I, I really like the moves that Andrew Barry, the GM over there is doing, um, you know, free agency, like, you know, we're, we're starting to get players that want to come to Cleveland, you know, take pay cuts to be part of a Super Bowl contender. Right. And, and so those things are exciting for me. Um, and he's not overpaying, but he's getting players in in areas of need Mm -hmm. um and i think the draft you know the the three areas that like it's all defense right our defense wasn't great last year wasn't consistent i don't think the 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 dc joe woods there had enough tools in the toolbox if you will to play the way he wants to play and i think last year they focused on building the offense uh, or continuing to build the offense and and this year they, they, they go defense and they, they retool that and, and uh, build that way. And so for me, they pick at 26. Um, I'm thinking probably cornerback um, or uh, defensive end, right? They need to pair somebody opposite Miles Garrett. Right. Um, Greedy Williams didn't play all last year, has a, a nerve damage in his shoulder. Who knows? Like he's supposed to be ready to go. Who knows? But can't really rely on it. So one of those two areas, uh, you know, makes sense to me. Um, 
would like him to get another defensive interior player, but uh, it's not that draft. It's not that kind of draft. There's there's not a whole lot there for for defensive tackles. So okay, but as far as players at twenty six, I like, and if if we can get JC Horn by some miracle, if he comes, if he makes it to twenty six, and yeah. I don't think he's there, I think he's a dude. I think I think he's the guy. Um, at end. You know, there's there's a lot of good ones, right? Yeah, like a lot, I'm, a lot of really good ones. I mean, I think there's some projects, but a, like some freakish type athlete projects mm-hmm. uh, that could work well there. I mean, we brought uh, Tack uh, McKinley in to be opposite of, of Miles in free agency, but it's done a one year thing, and he's he, it's a bit of a a lotto ticket with him, right? You don't right. know who you're going to get out of him, what player like is going to show up. So to have to bring in some more help, some young defensive end help, whether it's round one or, or, you know, early, you know, one to three, I think that you, you got to do it and, and create a good pass rush, you know, um, plan and, and rotation. Mm-hmm. Well, for the sake of my Steelers, I hope that they bust on it and make that's some bad picks. So that's how I feel about that. That's okay. I hope Ben Roethlis- Roethlisberger throws four more picks each <laughs> game. <laughs> that's fair and probably likely. Okay. How about uh, we got to finish off strong here, buddy. Fourth quarter. We're at the very end. I like to ask everybody, who is your favorite QB of all time and why? You know, I I thought about this for a, a long time. And, and like... So unfortunately, I haven't had the, the good fortune of having a, a Browns QB in my lifetime. That is is the guy, right? right, I, right. I wasn't a Browns fan um, in my early adolescent age, right? Like I became a Browns fan when they came back in '99. I figured I'd get in on the ground floor. It wouldn't be too bad for too long, and eventually <laughs> I'll reap the rewards. Well, right. you know, 20 years later, here we are. There you go. Uh, that's some serious so, loyalty. Yeah, great odds, right? I, I yeah. totally won that one. Um, but as far as as top QB, uh, like my favorite QB, I go back to that time where I fell in love with football. That time, you know, early '90s, where um, you know um, who was who was good at that time, and, and for me, like Brett Favre. Right, he was yeah. must watch was must must watch TV at the time, right? For like sure. he was Mahomes before Mahomes, right? Like he just the uh, the swagger, the moxie, the bravado, um, the, the arm, right? The, mm-hmm. the ability to and never mind that, like the longevity, right? Yes. So, um, yeah, he he was he was the guy. You know what? I I really love that because there's you know. I've said before, my favorite quarterback is probably like Joe Montana of all time. But, but honestly, like just in terms of like personality, and and we've seen some awesome, you know, NFL films, uh, you know, footage of of far behind the scenes. But I mean, like the the guy he is, like, just seems like he's the guy that everybody would love on the on your team, right? Like, and, and uh, you know, obviously his play you know, was kind of, he was a gunslinger, right? And he is known for having as many, maybe, you know, big mistakes at key points as having big plays. But he, the thing I loved about him is he never seemed, you know, frazzled by that if he made a mistake. Like, it was just on to the next one, and he, he believed in himself. And, you know, I, I just I just loved how he carried himself and the, and the player he was. He always was having fun out there. You could tell, like, the guys just enjoyed it. 
you know, he's he's running and putting guys on his back after they score touchdowns. Like the just incredible. So I, I really love that stuff because because I do love Brett Favre too. So uh, I agree with you on that. Um, I want to thank you for being on today. It's been awesome to talk, and you know, you kind of fill us in with your background and us be able to talk ball today. And uh, you know, where where can people find you moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, we talked about the blog and the podcast, and and uh, so I mean, right now I've we haven't launched any social media behind that. Uh, that's coming. So um, you know, you can find me personally on on all the socials at Red Hirsch, and uh, so Twitter, Instagram, um, those are the the main ones there. And and uh, we'll be launching the the Red Howler Report and that project in in very short time uh very do and you know that's coming due soon and i'm very excited about that and uh, so stay tuned there and, and you'll you'll get all the socials once those launch um and then uh, as far as u16 you know we're still working towards uh, playing football again and and that's super exciting and having talks with um you know football manitoba and uh you know getting back to some of the things and and, and ideas uh, not just on the coaching side of things, but as a program, as in, you know, uh, developing the program and um, taking taking the program to to another level. Um, there were a lot of exciting talks. I'm not privy to to mention any of those right now. Nothing's uh, kind of formalized yet. But uh, when we do get back, um, you know, uh, it'll be it'll be great. I'm really excited for that. Um, you can find the U16 program at U, um, you know, on Twitter as well as Instagram at U16 Toba FB. Um, and um, you know, if there's any news um, that uh, on that front, you'll hear it there first. All right, great. That's excellent information, Coach. Okay, I want to thank you again for being on. I hope you enjoyed your time today. Absolutely, man. And always enjoy breaking bread with you. All right, man. Well, till next time, you take care. You as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you.